Well, welcome to worship at Christ Fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Seth, for preparing our hearts for hearing the Word of God, which will be from Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 14. And while they were there, the time came for her, that's Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. I love this time of year very much. The Bible... As you know, in the New Testament, contains four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only two of those Gospels actually tell us of the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew and Luke are the two Gospels that tell us about his birth. Now, John mentions Jesus even before his birth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. But it doesn't tell us about his birth. So what I've done, what I want to do, is I've looked at these two accounts from Matthew and Luke and read over them both and pulled out of them characteristics, attributes, qualities of the two kings that we find in those accounts. There's two kings in those accounts, as you know. King Jesus and King Herod. So I titled this series for this Christmas season, Two Kings. There's going to be five messages, because there's the four Sundays that lead up to these, the coming of Jesus. If you're celebrating Advent, our family does that. You might know that there's actually four candles for the four Sundays that lead up to the Christmas Day, and that's the candle in the middle. It's the tallest, and it's the best, right? So these four that are leading up to the final one, the fifth, each one of those, I'm going to bring out different attributes of these two kings. So today's message is titled, Two Kings, Humility and Pride. Two Kings, Humility and Pride, looking at these two things in both of these two kings. Now, why is it important to give ear to this sermon? Why should you even pay attention to this? Why should you listen attentively? Why should you give thought and consideration to what you hear this morning in this message? Well, for one reason, you will see just how wonderful and precious and unique and amazing King Jesus is, which should create in you a deeper love for him and a deeper devotion to him and a deeper trust in him. That's the number one reason. The number two reason why you should even give ear to anything that you're about to hear is because you'll see things in Herod that you'll hate and that you'll disdain. But at the same time, 
that you'll recognize on a smaller scale in your own life. You should listen, and also because you'll be warned by seeing what the sin of pride devolves into in a person's life when that pride hasn't been crucified by Jesus Christ. And so this is a warning also of what you can become. You and I can become so very similar to King Herod, or we can be made more and more into the image of King Jesus. Have you ever heard that saying, you become like what you worship? It's true. You become like what you worship. And mankind is actually given to worship. Now, you might not think that about yourself at all. You might not think, well, I mean, no, unbelievers don't worship. Yes, they do. Because worship is defined as what you give your time, devotion, affection, love to. So everyone worships something. Everyone worships something, even though he might not define it as worship. But we were made to worship God. And that image of God that we're made in, that's still in our DNA, that's still in there, though we've marred that image badly, of course, by sin, mankind still worships something. So, two kings, humility and pride, are seen in both of these kings. And of course, you know which attribute the one holds. I want to talk about pride. And I don't want to just throw terms out as if you know what they mean. I want to look at how does the Bible define pride? Let's get our definition for what this word is from the Bible. Let's have a biblical understanding. And really, you should filter all of your thoughts, all of the things that you think you know, you should filter them all through Scripture. I remember when I first got saved, having to learn how to rightly celebrate Christmas. Because I celebrated Christmas as a young person, but I had to learn how to rightly celebrate Christmas. Because to me, growing up, what Christmas meant was, well, we go to Century Plaza, and it's so beautiful. And oh, the warm fuzzies I get when I'm there. Remember Century Plaza in Irondale? Maybe you didn't go there because you're resident of Gaston, but growing up up close to Birmingham, that was the place to be at Christmas time, and oh, it was so fun and cool and pretty. And then, of course, we get to go home, we listen to Christmas music, and then guess what Christmas morning is about? Christmas morning is all about me and what I got for Christmas. And so I had to relearn, actually, I had to learn for the first time, really, how to celebrate Christmas, biblically, what that means. And so we have to filter everything through Scripture, especially our definition of pride. Pride, I mean, general definition, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It's a very simple definition. But let's look at Scripture. 2 Corinthians 26, 16. I want, I want to look at three different things in Scripture that give us a pretty good definition of Pride. This is concerning a king named King Uzziah. And it says this. Listen to this. But when he was strong, he grew proud. There's our word. To his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, for those of you who might not understand, 
the Old Testament very well just yet, and that's okay. We're all, we're all learning. You might think, it's a good thing to offer, offer incense to God in the temple, right? He was a king, not a priest. And only priests were allowed to enter incense in the temple. Why, Cohen? Why is that? Because that's what God said. God said, these are the ones who are allowed to do this. These are the ones who have the right to do this. King Herod, he thought, I'm a king. I can do whatever I want. And if I want to go in the temple and alter incense, I'm going to do it. So we get a definition of pride here. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Pride is thinking you have rights that you don't have. Pride is thinking you have rights that you don't have. He thought he had the right to do this. He did not have the right to do this. I don't, it didn't matter how strong he was, how much position he had. God said he did not have the right to do this, but he thought he did. That's pride. Secondly, let's look at Psalm 10.4 for another mm, angle to look at pride because we're going to composite, pile all these together to make a definition of pride. Psalm 10.4. In the pride of his face... The wicked does not seek him, that's God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So there's our word again, pride. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Thinking you have authority that you don't have, that's pride. This man, in his pride, thinks there is no authority over me. I'm my authority. You know that very popular poem, Invictus. Invictus is a Latin word, if I'm not mistaken, it's Latin, but it means like unconquered. On that popular poem, it says, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the champion of my soul. (laughs) No, you're not. No, you're not. And the man who wrote that was an atheist. And he's long dead. In the pride of his face, the wicked thinks there is no God. So we saw thinking you have rights that you don't have, that's pride. Thinking you have authority that you don't have, that's pride. Next, let's look at Psalm 16, 18. I'm sorry, Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What's very common in Hebrew literature is something called parallelisms. It means to be parallel, right? Train tracks. They ride along each other. In Hebrew literature, this is very common too. The first line, they'll say something. And the second line, they'll either copy it or give a contrast to it. It's a very common way to do Hebrew poetry. So here we have a parallelism where they're similes. They're the same. They're like one another. Says something here, restates it here. These are wonderful too because it helps you define things the way the Hebrews defined them. So in the first line, what do we get? Pride goes before destruction. Then he resays it in a different way. So instead of saying pride, he substitutes it with what? A haughty spirit goes before a fall. So see, pride, haughty spirit, destruction, fall. So he defines pride for us. A haughty spirit. What's it mean to be haughty? It means you think you're better than other people. So first of all, we said thinking you have rights you don't have, thinking you have authority you don't have. Now for this one, thinking you have superiority that you don't have. Thinking you have superiority 
that you don't have. It even has the word in the word superiority. We even find the word super. Thinking you're super better than others. Right? That's what it means. What's more, if you want a bit more, and I don't have this for you to look at on the screen, but listen to this. This is Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul telling Timothy about who you should make an elder or a pastor in a church and who you should not make an elder or a pastor in a church. And he says, be careful that you don't do this, because this might happen. About those who can be an elder, who can be a pastor, he says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit. King James says pride. Puffed up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Don't lay hands on a young person who's just been saved just, just recently. Don't make him an elder, or he might get puffed up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So another, another reason why we don't want to be like this is because this was the great sin of the devil. This is what made him evil and cast him out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what threw him out as quick as lightning flashes. God wouldn't stand for this. Why? Because he thought he had rights that he didn't have. He thought he had authority that he didn't have. And he thought he had superiority that he didn't have. Herod, according to Zondervan Academic, listen to this. They said, Herod was distrustful, jealous, brutal, ruthlessly crushing any potential opposition. The Jews never accepted him as their legitimate king, and this infuriated him. So what do we find with King Herod? What, does his pride come up anywhere in those two different accounts, Matthew or Luke? Does his pride come out? Yes. Does he do something that shows that he thinks he, have, he has rights that he doesn't have? Or superiority or authority that he doesn't have? Absolutely. You remember when. You remember when. Listen to Matthew 2, 13 through 16. Should be on the screen behind you as well. Matthew 2, 13 through 16. Familiar portion of scripture. You, you know it well. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise man. This is really sad, of course, when we think of Christmas. We think, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is, this is wonderful. We love it. This is a great time. Well, for some people, Christmas meant their children died. Have you thought about that? Now, I get it. This was when, this was when the child was probably already at least two years old because when the wise men find them, it says they come to the child in the house. It doesn't say they come to the baby in the manger. We, we lump them together. We do. And in paintings, you'll see them lumped together. But they weren't. These were two separate events, the birth and then the actual visiting of the wise men. It was probably later on. However, they still came to worship him. 
as the king born. So it's still okay to put them together. I'm not saying, if you've got a painting like that up in your house, you need to go rip it up and burn it. It's unbiblical, and woe is you. No, that's fine. You can keep them up. <laughs> you don't have to go take all the wise men off your Christmas tree. But Christmas was also a time of death for a lot of children. But why? Because of Herod's great pride. Herod believed he had the right to kill these children. Herod believed he had the authority to kill these children. Herod believed he had the superiority to kill these children. And why was he willing to kill children? To keep what he had. I'm the king. No one's going to get in the way of me being king. No one's going to mess up my life. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to have things to be the way I want them to be. And I can do it. So I'm going to do it. And unfortunately, that's the same heartbeat as to why some people are still killing babies in our day. Now, I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to get in the way of what I want. Things are going to stay the way I want them to be. No one's going to get in the way of what I want. Even if I have to kill babies, I'm going to do it. Right? Same mindset. I told you why you should listen well to this message, because we're going to see things in this wicked man that if we're not careful, can creep up in us too. And If you're in here, if you're in here and you've had an abortion, know this, there's forgiveness for you and you're in the right place and you're among people who love you because we've also sinned, every one of us in this room, in horrible ways, haven't we? No one's exempt from that, especially not your pastor at all. I'm up here as a forgiven man. So we still see the same mindset in our day. We look at King Herod and we say, wow, what a wicked, just insanely wicked man. And, we, and you're right. That insane wickedness is celebrated now in our country. And it's a pride. It's, it's pride. That's all it is. You see that, don't you? He thought he had rights that he didn't have. He thought he had authority he didn't have. He thought he had superiority he didn't have. Now let's, let's contrast that to the second king, the better king, the amazing king. Let's talk about Jesus' humility. Pride, we already saw, is thinking you have rights, authority, and superiority that you don't have. So humility is going to be the opposite of that. It's not the idea of putting yourself down. A lot of us think, oh, he's so humble, because we sometimes think, oh, if somebody compliments you, you're then just supposed to say, oh, well, no, I'm, I'm this instead. Right? I'm not saying it's, it's a sin if you do that, if you mean it especially. Um, but sometimes we just think, oh, that's what it means to be humble. If anyone ever compliments you, you're supposed to say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just this instead. Well, it's not the idea of putting yourself down whenever someone compliments you. It's actually the idea of seeing yourself rightly. Humility is just really the idea of seeing yourself rightly. What do I mean? Well, understanding your actual position in God's universe. 
Understanding your actual position in God's universe. And this causes you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. When you understand who God is, when you really understand who God is and who this Bible says who you are in relation to him, it creates humility because it creates thankfulness too. Knowing that you don't even deserve anything good that he gives you. You don't deserve anything good that he gives you. That's why I love that saying when someone says, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. You know you're dependent upon God and anything you have comes from him. You know he's the ultimate authority and that it's right and good to submit to him. This is all in the idea of humility. You're dependent upon him. You know that he's the ultimate authority. You know he's superior And you're happy about that. You're happy that he's superior to you. You're not jealous in any way. You're not angry about that in any way. You're thankful. I'm thankful that there's a God bigger than me, more wise than me, more loving than me. Any attributes that you can think of, more than me. I need someone like that. I want someone like that in my life. And I'm glad He's not only in my life, I'm in his family. He's adopted me. Why? Because I'm so good and because I'm so awesome. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, that one. It's like you're picking puppies out. You see, that one, you see that some of them are kind of falling over and goofy and maybe one's just walking in circles and one's kind of stumbling to the side and you think, yeah, not those. And then you see one, oh, he's handsome. Oh, and his eyes are sparkly and he looks up at you and he climbs up on the fence and he's like, oh, daddy or mommy. And you say, that's the one I want. That's not how God does salvation. He doesn't look at you and say, well, now there's a good one. I didn't even notice this one, angels, until you put my... You're right. I think we should adopt him. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's not looking for the ones who think they're so good because they're just showing that they're so bad. We're supposed to be instead not like the Pharisee that says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, especially not like this loser over here. And Jesus said, the one that actually went to his house justified was a tax collector who wouldn't even look up to heaven but beat upon his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That one went to his house justified, not the other one. We know that God's superior and we're happy about that. So let's contrast those things that we saw in Herod and things that we see in the scripture that bring pride or that are proud to Jesus. So pride is thinking you have rights that you don't have. Let's look at Jesus' rights. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is Paul writing while he's in jail, by the way. Have this mind among yourselves. What, what mind, Paul, which, was yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Oh, what's it like? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, or that means selfishly held on to. This is my right. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. What kind of servant? Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Notice he goes right from birth to death. Verse 7, humbled himself, being born in the likeness of sinful man. Verse 7, birth. Verse 8, death. This passage of Scripture is called the, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, kenosis passage. It comes from the Greek word kineo, which means to empty. And so it's called the portion of Scripture where Jesus is talking about how he emptied himself. That he emptied himself of his divine nature. He stopped being God. No, but he emptied of those things. He emptied himself of those things that on the outward appearance, would show that he's God. He stepped down from glory. He stepped down to that exalted position in heaven. He, he stepped down. He put those things aside, his bright, shining, wonderful beauty that would blind you to look at with these human eyes. He put all that aside and stepped down into the form of a man, put on flesh. He dwelt among us, John 1 says. He humbled himself. Even... He says, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. That's also how low he humbled himself. See, Jesus, we're so glad that he was born. We're, we're so thankful that he was born, not just because he was born. It's not like that goofy movie where the guy is a race car driver and he's praying before his food and he's praying to baby Jesus. And the guy says, why are you praying? He says, well, I like baby Jesus better. That's what he says. Foolish movie, foolish quote. That means you don't even understand Jesus. You want to know why he was born in the first place? You know why I know baby Jesus is so special? Because of the very next verse, he humbled himself and came obedient to the point of death. He's been death on the cross because he took the place for sinners. He died in the place of sinners. He exposed himself to spitting and thus plucking out his beard. That's why he's so wonderful. That's why I'm telling you, when you, under, when you see him rightly, you love him more. How could you not love a man like that? How could you not love Jesus when you see what he did for you? I mean, I love, I love, I love how. You've noticed this. Have you ever seen Butch Richardson, talk about Jesus Christ forgiving his sins and him not tear up. Don't you love that? His heart's so full of love for Jesus, it comes out his eyes. It's supposed to make you love him more. This is not boring. This is beautiful. And Jesus, is, Jesus from, changes from boring to beautiful when you get saved. This book, I used to not be able to stand this book when I was unsaved. I was like, it's so boring. I don't get it. When I got saved, it was just like more, more, more. My parents who used to see me go out and drink every weekend were like, why does he just sit in his room and read the Bible all day? It's because I was like, because it's wonderful. It's, this is amazing. I love Jesus. Because something changed in me. I was born again. He changed me. Jesus put away his rights. He didn't claim his rights like the proud do. He said, sure, I have a right to all this. 
I'm going to put it aside. That's humility. Second thing, the, pri- the proud think they have authority that they don't have. Let's talk about Jesus' authority and what we saw with this baby in a manger. Let's talk about authority. John six thirty eight. You know what Jesus said about his authority? He said, for I've not come down from heaven, not, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. We don't like that word. And people will tell you in the world, you don't submit to anybody. You're the boss. You get to the top. Get there because that's the best place to be. You're the boss. And you need to be that way and act that way. Feel that way. That's when you'll feel most fulfilled in life. No, you won't. The three richest men in the United States. You know who they are? Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. All three have failed marriages. They got to the top. And financially to the top. I think Elon Musk is married now, but if I'm not mistaken, he's gone through two other wives. Jesus submitted to the Father. He had all authority, and he submitted himself to the Father. And that's where he found the most perfect peace and the most perfect place. Do you see that? That's where we find our place. And that's where we find our peace. And that's where we find our joy. Submitting to the Father. Not trying to do our own thing. Number three, remember the proud are proud because they think they have superiority that they don't have. Well, what about Jesus and his humility? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, superior, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. This is him, though he's super, putting himself low on purpose, that we might be made rich. Remember he also said, somebody said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. What did he say to the man? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You realize Jesus was homeless during his ministry years. Homeless. Jesus Christ. Who all, all, of uni- all of the universe has been his home forever. And he came down here and was homeless. This is our Lord, and he's so wonderful for it. He even, talking about being poor, you know, don't you, that when Mary and Joseph after they had their baby, according to Jewish customs, that after a woman has a child, she's ceremonially impure and has to go a number of days, and then she has to offer certain sacrifices in order to be made pure again, ceremonially pure, so she can enter back into the worship 
that the Jews do at the temple and whatnot. Well, we know from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, listen. And when the time up for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy, holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice. According to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now some of you don't know this, but some of you do. If you're offering that sacrifice of two young pigeons, you know what that means? You're poor. Jesus was born into a poor family on purpose. God did that on purpose. Because in the law, it says that when she's bringing these sacrifices for her purification, it says in Leviticus, let me get the chapter, 12, verse 8. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Even in the Old Testament, the Lord never excluded anyone based on any sort of status. He made a provision, no matter your status. Can't afford this? You can do this. And the Lord still makes a provision for salvation. It doesn't matter who you are. Paul said, Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free. We're all one in Jesus Christ. It does not matter. The humility of our Lord Jesus. The humility of our Lord Jesus. He even said, remember when... And this is just another example of his superiority that he laid down. When they were in the garden, they're praying and waiting because that night he's going to come and get arrested. Well, Peter, being Peter, they come up to arrest Jesus, and Peter says, I don't think so. Slash, right? He's probably going for his head and missed his head, and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. And Jesus says to Peter, put away your sword. Do you not think that I couldn't call legions of angels? He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus said, you don't get it. If I wanted to, I could call down thousands upon thousands of angels that could slay millions of humans in a moment if I wanted them to. And I'm choosing to not do that so that I can be slain by these same wicked men on your behalf. What a Jesus we have. You not realize Don't you want to be that humble? Don't you want to be that humble? Don't you want to eradicate pride in your life that badly? Don't you want to be like that? So powerful, so mighty, so wonderful, worthy of so much praise, but willing to step back and put all that aside 
so that others could have salvation, so that others could know Jesus Christ. I want to be more like that. So when you compare these two kings, you see one is just horribly ugly and foul and vile. And you see the other is so precious and so beautiful and mighty. And you want to be like him. And you want to worship at his feet. That's what Christmas creates in us. And it should help us also fight against discontentment. Because listen, I'm going to end with this just because there's a plague of discontentment in our country and in my heart. And I was reading the account of Mary recently, the, the one that I read to you. Have you ever thought about this? Because when we get to verse 7, can we put the Luke 2 back on the screen? That's the very first slide. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Read verse 7 slowly. Don't, don't run ahead. Read it slowly with me. Look. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Stop there. Now, if we just stop there, we're like, so far, so good. The angel appeared to her and said, this is going to happen. You're going to bear the son of God. Wow. Talk about privilege. Talk about a responsibility as well, right? So, so far, so good. He's born like the angel said. But then look at this. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. So look at this. And laid him in a manger. Now, for you, as an American reading this, and as someone who's always grown up with Christmas and all that stuff, when you hear manger, you think, yeah, nice little manger, and Jesus lays in it. You need to understand what this is. This is an animal's feed trough. You know that, right? An animal's feed trough. Some of you who have not been around animals very much or farms, you don't understand how gross these things are. They're gross, okay? They're not like your dishes that when you're done with the dishes, you clean them in the sink, you put them in the dishwasher, you pull them back out, you're like, oh, look how clean and spot-free because I use Dawn. No, they're disgusting and they're gross and they smell. And so what I was thinking is, I was thinking this. Why didn't God give them a hotel room? He totally could have. Why didn't he? I mean, this is, this is after all his son, Right? Being born into the world, doesn't he want the best for his son? Didn't God have the power to open up a hotel room? Actually, the best one, didn't he? Did God have the power to open up the best hotel room for them? 100%. Did God even have the ability to just make it even climate controlled and comfortable? Like the seats you're sitting in and like the environment we're in right now, climate controlled? Doesn't smell like animals in here, does it? Doesn't smell like animal afters in here either, does it? God did not open up a hotel room for her. You see that? And she was not discontented about that. She wasn't thinking. She wasn't sitting there on a blanket that probably Joseph had put over hay, and it's stinking in there. You know what she wasn't thinking? Seriously, God? Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. I'm having another contraction. Seriously? You couldn't even open up a 
blessed hotel room? Oh, for the love. Some gods you are. Oh, and I've got to have this baby in this. It stinks so bad in here. Oh, I can't stand this place. Oh. You know, I was able to act that out so well. Because that's kind of how I act too often, right? Now, I may never say, seriously, God? No, 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 I don't do that. I know that's wrong, and I don't talk to God like that. I've only talked to God like that once since I've been a Christian, and I repented of it. It was many years ago when we had our second miscarriage. I was very upset, and then later on, he corrected me, and I realized this was his will, Cohen, and he's wiser than you, and he means it for your good, you idiot, so don't talk to him like that. It's never right to be mad at God. It's never right to be mad at God. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can be mad at God. You can be. But what I'm telling you is it's not right because he does no wrong. So if you're mad at him, you're saying, you've done some injustice to me. I deserve better. And why aren't I getting I should be getting better. Mary didn't do that. You couldn't even open me a hotel room. Seriously? Got to have this baby on the hay? And then lay him in an animal's feet trough for the love. She didn't do that. And actually, even the angels said, hey, hey, shepherds, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths lying in in an animal's feet trough. And then you know what they said after that? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. They glorified God for the baby laid in an animal's feet trough. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Your discontentment always stems from the fact that your expectations are not aligned with Scripture or not informed by Scripture. This is important. You really need to hear this, okay? Yes, everything I've said about pride and humility, you need to get that too. But this is something, this is bonus. Your discontentment always stems from the fact that your expectations are not aligned with Scripture or are not informed by Scripture. Why am I saying this? Because we are discontented people and it's fed to us so that we'll buy more or so that we'll pursue more and the devil uses it too, right? You feel it, don't you? Yeah, if we have this much money, but boy, it'd be better if we had more. Oh, I love our house, but boy, it'd be better if we had a bigger one. Oh, I love this car, but boy, I'd love to have that one instead. Oh, I love my wife, but boy, look at that newer model. Right? Your discontentment stems from the fact that your expectations are not aligned with Scripture. And think about this. What offering did they offer? Turtle doves? Pigeons? You know why? Because they were poor. Seriously, Jesus? I mean, I'm holding the Son of God here. I'm holding the Messiah. And you're not even going to give us enough money to do better for him? Seriously? That wasn't her thought. That wasn't her thought. So don't let it be yours. Don't let it be yours either, Cohen. Christmas should also make you so thankful, right? Thankful and content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Father, we thank you for your dear son, Jesus Christ, who you sent into this world. And we 
so love to celebrate the first Advent. We do that, Lord, as we, as we anticipate the second Advent and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So until you come again, Lord, I pray that you would please help us to be humble, submit ourselves to you, Lord, not think that we have rights that we don't or authority that we don't, don't, that, that we don't and superiority that we actually don't, but instead, Lord, to be willing, to be willing to be like Jesus, not claim rights for ourselves or authority or power for ourselves, Lord, but to submit to your power and authority and plan. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.